0: Hello and welcome to Hitchcock Chronologically. My name is Jeff. This is the podcast where I go through each and every one of Alfred Hitchcock's movies in chronological order and review them. We're over halfway through. And I have found an unequivocally, is that a good, that's a word, unequivocally good Hitchcock movie. I watched Spellbound from 1945, starring Gregory Peck and Ingrid Bergman. Uh, The name sounds familiar for Ingrid Bergman. I'm not super familiar with anything else she's done. But of course, Gregory Peck uh, has won several Oscars and is most known for in my circles, uh, because we watched this movie in high school, was To Kill a Mockingbird. He plays the lead in that. And he plays one of the two leads here. The opening opening, uh, of This movie starts with two quotes on screen. The fault is not in our stars, but in ourselves by William Shakespeare. And the second one isn't so much a quote as it is telling you what the story is. It says our story deals with psychoanalysis, the method by which modern science treats the emotional problems of the sane. The analysis seeks only to induce the patient to talk about his hidden problems to open the door to open the doors of his mind. Once the complexes that have been disturbing the patient are uncovered and interpreted, the illness and confusion disappear and the devils of unreason are driven from the human soul. What a setup, right? That's what this movie is going to be. It tells you up front. And as someone who loves counseling and therapy and recommends that everyone do it, I gotta say, that's a pretty apt way of discussing it. Now it's a little more clinical what they're talking about here. Uh, And I don't know that it's as magical as it's portrayed. Uh, Basically our Gregory Peck's character is dealing with amnesia and just broad stroke spoiler. uh, They spend a lot of time trying to unlock that amnesia and get his memory to come back. And I'm no doctor, but essentially it's like all or nothing. Like once his memory comes back, it's all back like right away. Now, does that, is that how it works? I don't know if you're a doctor and listening, get at me. Well, so the first half of this movie takes place at a, a mental institution maybe is, I don't know what they want to call it. Uh, but there are people living in this facility. I think they are nonviolent, um, people who have uh, mental illness. And uh, one of them is Mary Carmichael, who's just out of her mind, um, but also hilarious. Like she, I said, not violent, but she actually is in here because she bites men. She hates men and she tends to bite them. But at the same time, she also flirts with several of them in here. I don't know why I'm telling you too much about her because she's doesn't really play into the movie. Uh, but her doctor is Doctor Constance, Constance Peters, Peterson. Her not huh? her doctor is Doctor Constance Peterson, who's played by Ingrid Bergman. Bergman, what's with my uh, loose lips sink ships? Loose lips sink ships. Rubber baby buggy bumpers, by Ingrid Bergman, um, is her doctor, and they just kind of show her analysis, and she is actually. In this facility, the person who runs it is Dr. Murchison, who is played by Leo G. Carroll, which is a pretty good job. Um, but he is now being replaced uh, by a new doctor named Anthony Edwards. Now, if the name Anthony Edwards sounds familiar, I believe that's because there's an actor in the ER named Anthony Edwards. And I, for some reason, every time they say his name in this movie, that's who I think of. And uh, they are awaiting the arrival of the new head of this facility as... Uh, Mr. Murchison is on his way out. Uh, Constance, Dr. Peterson, uh, our lead, uh, has a pretty good relationship with Dr. Murchison, uh, almost like a uh, mentor relationship. She also works with a bunch of male doctors, um, various names. But the only other one that really plays any kind of role early on is Dr. Fleureau, who's very flirty with her. But clearly they all treat her like she's a spinster because she's so into her work. And this is kind of a sign of the times, right? If a woman is into her work, she's a spinster. And if you don't know what a spinster is, it's someone who just isn't interested in romance. And that's played up for the most part. But there is a large romance that develops between Gregory Peck's character and her and runs throughout the movie. Now, I got to say again, Alfred Hitchcock is not good at romance. Um, and it's the same here. But this movie isn't just a romance. Um, There's a lot of mystery, and it's done better, the mystery part of it, than any movie we've watched so far. The second half of this movie is so good and so intriguing. The first half is all set up, takes about an hour. It's a two-hour long movie, and it kind of drags a bit. Um, We're introduced to the new head, Anthony Edwards, who's played by Gregory Peck. Now, I will say... If you're on IMDb and you're looking at the cast and who plays who, that can actually offer somewhat of a spoiler because we find out pretty quickly that Gregory Peck is not actually who he says he is. He's not Anthony Edwards. He's not the doctor who's going to be taking over. And Dr. Peterson finds this out because she compares some handwriting and and finds it out easily. Now, there's also established a bit of a romance between them. Between Dr. Peterson and um at the time, who's known as Dr. Anderson, but we find out that he actually knows his initials. He doesn't know his name, but his initials are JB. So I'm gonna call him JB from here on out. And JB knows that. So there's a a couple other things that happen. He has mental illness. Obviously, he has amnesia, which is what they established because he can't really remember who he is and where he's from. Uh, but he does um, have some other quirks about him. So uh, they talk about making a swimming pool and Dr. Peterson, to show the shape of it, uses her fork to draw these lines on the tablecloth and it pisses JB off, Uh, unreasonably so. And then he apologizes and kind of realizes it drove him off. Also, she at one point wears a white dress with, uh, or a robe with white, a white dress with black lines. This sets him off. The color white sets him off. And we have in this movie, the second ever fainting of a dude, right? Uh, Thankfully, Dr. Peterson never faints. It's only Gregory Peck's character, JB. So come to find out the real Dr. Edwards, who is supposed to be taking over has been missing For quite some time, his secretary calls the office to reach out to Dr. Edwards and Gregory Peck answers and she knows immediately it's not him. So she shows up there and uh, JB takes off, writes a note to um, Dr. Peterson and says, I'm out of here. She tracks him down to a hotel because she's already getting feelings for this dude. And now all the doctors can see it. And uh, she finds him in his hotel room. And they discuss that, hey, I want to work with you to get your memory back. I don't believe you killed or caused the disappearance of Dr. Edwards. They uh, find out, though, that the police are looking for him, not as a guilty person, but as a person of interest. And so they go on the run and they end up at a I don't think it's a hotel or if it's a it's basically a, a place that is owned by. Uh, and I'm zipping through the first half of this movie because, again, it's pretty dull. And the second half is so rich. Uh, but they end up at this facility. who's ran, It's ran by Dr. Alex Bruloff, who is the teacher and mentor to Dr. Peterson. And he is played by Michael Chekhov. And he is the best part of this movie. He is so Brilliant! He's so good and entertaining when he's on screen, you're captivated, and this is when the movie gets good. And I skipped a lot of stuff. I didn't go scene by scene on the first half because basically all you need to know is what I've told you. He doesn't like white. He doesn't like lines. He has memory loss. His initials are J B. Also, Anthony Edwards is missing, and he was supposed to take over uh, for Doctor Muchison at the facility. Well, there's some police actually at this place and they both pretend uh, Dr. Peterson and JB pretend to be married on their honeymoon and they go up to this room that Dr. Burloff has said you can stay here and in this room JB is like that's weird that your doctor friend didn't ask where our luggage was you know and she's like I oh, don't worry about him he's kind of kooky and he's not too worried about it that's just how he is never mind the fact that this guy Dr. Burloff is a brilliant psychologist and analyst and scientist and he is not fooled in in any way um but they spend a lot of time in their room and he has another uh this is where he faints he sees white or whatever i can't remember what he saw exactly but the the color white set him off he fainted because she's trying to force him to push into it to find out why he's feeling this way so he uh not big on that well he wakes up in the middle of the night while they're both sleeping and he goes in for a late night shave i don't know why but he's gonna shave in the middle of the night (laughs) okay like the movie's not perfect but it's really good so he goes in for a late night shave and of course shaving cream is white the tile in the bathroom is white. The sink is white. And this puts him in a state of, uh, what do you want to call that? Like he's like glazed over. He's not in his own head anymore. He's like a zombie almost. And he walks in back into the room and he stands over Dr. Peterson with this blade that he was going to shave with. Now, this is an old style straight razor. Um, you could easily murder someone with this. It's not. He's not using a BIC or, you know, Harry's razors get at me if you want to sponsor the show um he's not using those he, be, he's using something he could actually murder someone with and he stands over her again blank faced and then makes his way downstairs where he sees dr Brulov behind his desk now dr Brulov is up saying you know ah, i'm up doing work couldn't sleep you know i'm having some milk and some treats so i'll go get you a glass of milk you can join me and the whole time jb just stands there stoically holding the blade and Dr. Bruloff gives no indication that he's seen it and he gives this glass of milk to JB now remember he doesn't like white and he's got a blade in his hand and he's been given a cup of milk and he drinks the milk and they show it in a first person view Uh, This reminded me of the opening scene in Champagne, an absolutely horrible movie by Alfred Hitchcock, Uh, but he drinks it. And so you see white as he's looking through the glass at Dr. Bruloff, a really kind of interesting and cool shot. Uh, And then the screen fades to black. Now, I also want to bring up there's a theme here of opening doors. And if you remember me talking about the opening words at the beginning, they talk about opening the doors of the mind and there's several times like the first time that dr peterson and jb kiss it shows doors opening like it's opening these gateways to his mind and um this happens a couple other times uh but i don't know that it's driven home in the most poetic way i get why it's there but it's so obvious that it doesn't take any um you know there's something about art where if you tell people exactly what you're trying to say, it has less of an effect than showing them what you're trying to say. And having them interpret it for themselves. I hope that makes sense. Well. Dr. Peterson wakes up. Realizes that JB is missing, comes downstairs and sees Dr. Bruloff. Lifeless on his chair. And she goes to wake him up and he does wake up and he's fine. And she says, have you seen my husband? He might've taken off last night. And he goes, well, no, he hasn't taken off. He's asleep on the couch. And she kind of pets him and whatever. He's like, you must really think I'm stupid. Basically, Dr. Bruloff is
1: so good. My, my husband must have gone out very early this morning. You, you didn't have. To. He didn't go out. He's over there on the couch. He's all right. He's sleeping fine. My dear child, do you think old Alex Brulov, one of the biggest brains who is in psychiatry, is unable to make out two and two come out four? I should have known. The moment I see you with a husband whose pupils are enlarged, who has a tremor of the left hand, who is on a honeymoon with no baggage, and whose name is Joan Brown. I know practically what is going on. What happened? Only what I expected. There is no use taking chances with a possibly dangerous case. I sit here waiting. If you scream, I'm ready. So he comes downstairs and he's dangerous. I can see by his face. So I keep talking while I put some bromide into a glass of milk, enough to knock out three horses. When he falls down, I run up to see you. You are sleeping like a baby, and I come back here to watch out.
0: Dr. Brulov knows right away. He's awesome. Uh, and he is able to do something that Dr. Peterson is not able to do, and that is be objective with J.B., Um, there are some parts here that are really kind of sexist because they're like talking about how they're not like, obviously she's a smart doctor and people take her seriously as one. And in this case with JB, she clearly has a conflict of interest and is not able to be objective yet. They often address it as women are not able to be objective, but that's not the case. Okay. Now, he is able to be objective and he tells her this is a dangerous man it's not worth the risk like i saw him just totally glass-eyed with this blade in his hand down here downstairs and this scene when gregory peck comes down the stairs and he's cloaked in shadow it's awesome it's vintage hitchcock the good stuff And I would say that looking at this movie, this is the good stuff. This this second half of this movie is Hitchcock just nailing it, finding that tone. This movie feels unique. It doesn't, like, I can't think of anything that points back to some of his other movies, some plot lines that get repeated, like the love triangle thing and the innocent person or the guilty person wanting to take the blame for something that someone else, anyway, it, it wholly feels new to me and fresh well basically dr brule his name's not dr brule brulov says i'm calling the police and we're turning him in i mean he's clearly he's not wanted by the police but he is uh, a person of interest again and dr peterson says to him Yeah, but you're not doing anything illegal by holding him here and allowing us as doctors to assist the police by working through his psyche. And she's able to convince him to give him a couple days. And when JB wakes up, uh, Dr., brulov spends a little time talking to him and again he's just so good like every conversation he has he's so in control and confident in his ability to analyze a situation he's just so reassuring to have on screen
1: constance told you no nobody told me if i don't know a patient with amnesia when i see one what do i know you don't remember your father or mother no wife or sweetheart no don't fight me. I'm going to help you if I can. I'm going to be your father image. I want you to look on me like your father. Trust me, lean on me. This is a shortcut, but we haven't much time. All right, go ahead. I'm leaning. Maybe you've got something you want to tell me? A single thought? A few words in the corner of your head? Go on, talk to me. Whatever comes into your head, just say what it is. There's nothing. Maybe you dreamed something. Yeah. What did you dream? I don't believe in dreams that Freud stuffs a lot of hooey. Oh, you are a fine one to talk you got amnesia and you got a guilt complex. I you don't know if you are coming or going from someplace, but Freud is who he this, you know, hmm. wise guy.
0: Dr. Brulov makes me so happy. I love this man. Uh, so he does indeed have a dream, um, JB, and they spend time delving into it. And this dream sequence is so great. Um, the art in it and the concept of the dream sequence is all from Salvador Dali, the um, surrealist artist. And there's paintings from him and the just the imagery. It's so great. There's uh, they like they get into the details of the stream and there's some weird things going on where uh, JB is in a restaurant playing cards with another man with a beard while another man in a mask comes up and tells him to leave. And there's a woman there. And then there's another scene where a man is on a roof and he falls off. But then the faceless man comes out, the one with the mask and drops a small wheel. And it's the, the dream is shot. So well, it's so cool. And uh, like the imagery of it feels like a dream because it's such nonsense of the things that he's seeing and they're illustrated in such a way that feels like dreamy nonsense. And then it's also got the Salvador Dali, you know, aesthetic on top of it, you know, the things melting and this wheel, the small wheel that the guy drops at the end of the dream is kind of molded and looks like it's right out of a Salvador Dali painting. It's awesome. This is one of the first movie I could just say you, you should go out and watch it. I I found it on YouTube. Um, it isn't, I couldn't find it anywhere to rent, but it is on YouTube currently. Um, Spellbound, 1945. Excellent. Like, like I said, you got to kind of work through that first hour. And there's stuff there that helps and is important. But boy, once you get to Dr. Bruloff, this movie picks up quick it's super interesting. All of the psychology in here. I'm not a psychologist. I don't know how accurate it is, but it feels real. And to me, that's sort of good enough. I'm not actually going to try to practice what this guy is teaching, but it feels like probably the psychology that was being thrown around in the 40s. And so they decode this dream to find out that he, through various things, everything actually has appointed this dream and they discuss it thoroughly. And I don't want to kind of do that because I don't remember all the details and it just, it would be tedious. Watch the movie. All of that stuff in that dream actually serves a purpose. And they find out that what he's afraid of, the reason he's afraid of White is because of snow and the tracks in the snow are like sled tracks or ski tracks. And they also were able to pull out of this dream that he was at a ski resort called Gabriel Valley so dr peterson now is convinced that jb is innocent while jb and the doctor dr bulov still think he's guilty jb thinks himself that he's guilty that he must have done this and they go on a trip uh dr peterson and jb up to the mountain where they went skiing where they think he went skiing with um anthony anderson the doctor who was going to take over. And they go skiing down the mountain. And then there's like this loud blaring horn thing that happens and it blew my eardrums out. It was awful. Uh, but they go skiing, and this skiing part, we just got done watching just an amazing sequence, the stream sequence to get the skiing shots that are bad. They are in front of rear projection. They're skiing unrealistically close to each other. It just isn't great. Uh, And it does take you out of the movie a little bit. That being said, there's some good acting here. Gregory Peck has this sort of angry look on his, whenever he's forced to confront his past or these memories he's burying deep inside, he has this angry look on his face. And, As they're going down this mountain, he realizes the source of all of this amnesia, and it doesn't actually have to do fully with Dr. Edwards. What happened with Dr. Edwards sort of uh, re-antagonized some of these hidden emotions, but he had closed the door on a memory that traumatized him at a young age where he had killed his brother. He had been believing that he killed his brother. And when he, the the memory comes back and this scene is, takes seconds on screen, but it's done well enough to really kind of hit home where they're on this, these two boys, one of them being Gregory Peck and his little brother are on, I don't know what you call it, but it's like a, a handrail, like a big cement slope handrail. And Gregory Peck's, character the 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 child version slides down and accidentally bumps his younger brother off and his younger brother falls on top of a fence and his fence has those huge metal spikes coming out of it and it's very brief and it essentially is the moment that his mind wakes all the way back up he remembers his name it's john ballantyne he remembers what happened with dr anderson or dr edwards where uh He was way behind Dr. Edwards and he saw Dr. Edwards fall off this cliff that (laughs) Dr. Peterson and him just almost fell off of. And they're able to go to the police and say, the body is down here. We know where it is. And his story checks out. So they feel like, ah, we've done it. You know, this is over. We can be together now because they're very much in love. But the problem is, is that Dr. Edwards had a bullet in his back. So JB, John Ballantyne, gets arrested and confesses to the murder. Uh, Now, there's this montage of the court proceedings and they really slim down this part, which is great because I didn't want the court part. And that's not what the movie is trying to focus on is the court aspect of it. He confesses. He goes to jail. You get a scene of a door opening and it's a jail cell. And again, that's that. symbolism that's a little obvious um and the whole time our dr peterson is fighting for him but he's pretty much convinced jb's pretty much convinced that he's done this now and so she goes back to work at the original facility and um dr murchison is there and he kind of brings her back in, and says you know take it easy ease back in i'll be here if you need anything and She says, well, the good thing is that's come out of this is that you're still here, Dr. Murchison, and that Dr. Edwards hasn't replaced you. And Dr. Murchison says, yeah, I knew Dr. Edwards much and I didn't like him, but he was a good person, really. And he walks away. And this echoes in Dr. Peterson's head and she goes through her notes and She goes into his office and wants to go over these notes with him. Now, this is kind of dumb because she's about to confront Dr. Murchison Murchison as the person who killed Dr. Edwards. She's going to do this right as she comes up with it. She doesn't have any sort of backup plan. (laughs) She doesn't have any protection against being killed. So it's kind of stupid of her to do this, but she goes in and confronts him and they go through the dream some more. And they realize that the cards represent this club, the 21 club and the bearded man in the dream was Mr. Anderson. And the man without a face is Dr. Murchison. And the wheel that was dropped was a revolver. And I, I I spoke out loud watching this movie. That's when I knew I was really enjoying it. And because she, you know, Dr. Murgis says, well, one part doesn't make sense is the wheel that was dropped. That's dumb. And she goes, no, the wheel that was dropped was a revolver. And I said it right beforehand. And I was like hyped because it was just great. And And then so he's she says, and that revolver is in the snow with the killer's fingerprints on it. I'm like, yeah, they're going to find out. But the problem is she's here telling him this. He says, you didn't tell anyone. And she says, no. Come on now, you're confronting a murderer. Don't give him a reason to murder you. So he says, well, actually, there's one part of your analysis I disagree with. And that is that the revolver is in the snow because it's right here on my desk. And he pulls the gun out and points it at her. And he says,
1: you're an excellent analyst, Dr. Peterson, but a rather stupid woman. What did you think I'd do when you told me all this? Congratulate you. You forget in your imbecilic devotion to your patient that the punishment for two murders is the same as for one.
0: <laughs> oh, dude. So, uh, it's a screed play in this movie, man. The second half of the movie is so good. It's so good. It's unironically excellent. And so she kind of calls his bluff a little bit because he says the same as two murders, but she kind of convinces him, Hey, your first murder you did in sort of a state of mania where you won't be put to death. You'll maybe be locked up, but at least you'll still be able to write and do the things you love, uh, the science that you like from prison. And she says, but if you kill me, that'll be cold blood and you'll definitely be killed for it. And she, while not totally confident in her breakdown of things, stands up and walks out of the room. Now, as she's walking out, we cut to a first person perspective um, from Dr. Mutchinson holding the gun and the gun is tracing past her or on her and following her and tracking her as she leaves the room. And when she leaves and closes the door, the gun turns to the camera and pulls the trigger. Oh, like. And so, like, I, part of me had hoped. I kind of hoped after that trigger pull, we just got end credits. Because sometimes you can over explain things. And if you leave out on that moment. Oh, man. Oh, you don't. Yes. Come on. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we don't leave out on that moment. We see that, indeed, Gregory Peck is set free. Uh, JB and Dr. Peterson are now engaged or married. No, they're married because uh, Dr. Bruloff is there and refers to her him as her husband. And they go on vacation. And then we get the end. That little sequence at the end is fine. It didn't need to be there. I would have been actually happier had they ended on the the that bullet going off at the very end of the movie but man this movie's great like the acting like our lead dr peterson her acting's okay gregory peck is okay they aren't particularly amazing but some of these characters the dr munchinson and dr Brulov, are awesome oh man and like some of the screw like the directing It's the first time where I can say, oh man, it's good. Like the dream sequence, you have to see the, now I will say the gun pointing at her and then turning it on himself. You can tell the hand is prosthetic and that's okay. I got past it because it looked pretty good. Um, But you can tell there are seams there, but it didn't matter because the execution was so good. No pun intended. I wholeheartedly recommend *Spellbound* (1945). This is the my fi- new favorite of all the movies I've watched uh, through this podcast. Excellent stuff. I, I I can't praise it enough. Huh. so, <laughs> I mean, how do we top that? You know, that's so that's so good. So, our next movie though. It's called Notorious, and it features the return of Mr. Cary Grant. And you know, when I hyped Cary Grant's first appearance in one of these movies, I was really excited because I love Cary Grant. Uh, and, but the movie was fine. It, it, suspicion, it was... People seem to like it more than me, and that's okay. Um, but Ingrid Bergman is back. Uh, she, again, was Dr. Peterson in this last movie. Uh, she plays one of the leads alongside Cary Grant, so uh i'm excited man i just i uh, oh i really hope like looking up this list we are getting so close to the absolute classics but to me i think i'm going to be thrilled if there's more hidden gems like spellbound oh my gosh so we're going to leave 1945 for 1946's notorious starring Cary grant and candace not candace bergman ingrid bergman Um, And if you want to reach out to me, you can email me at HitchcockChronologically at gmail.com. But the best way to touch base is to click the Discord link in the description and join the Budget Arcade Discord where I am frequently active. I want to thank you for listening. Um, Oh, man, I'm so excited and hyped. Like, I record these in advance. And when I watched bad movies, the good thing is, is that I usually have a couple episodes banked to kind of let myself actually want to do the show again. But when I watch a movie like this, I'm like, oh, let's do the next one. So I'm so excited for the rest of the podcast now. I think I pray. And sometimes when I hype things, I'm like, ah, the next one's going to be great. It ends up being bad. And then I'll be like, oh, man, I don't want to watch Waltzes from Vienna. That looks stupid. And it ends up being good. So <sighs> calm down, Jeff. Thank you for listening to the Hitchcock. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Hitchcock Chronologically. I'll see you next week.